0: Well, my name is paul mumon i 'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we welcome you here today and uh, as we do that how, how many of you how many of you are puzzle people Any, any jigsaw puzzle people in the crowd all right we got a few uh, we, we got this for Christmas, and uh, if you can see in the back it 's gumballs and gum drops and uh, you remember the blizzard of two thousand and twelve like it was like a couple days after Christmas? Well, we pulled this out as a family. And, after about three hours, um, I really wanted to hurt myself and uh, you know I, and, and it 's not because i 'm anti puzzle all right i, I 'm not an anti puzzle kind of a guy i mean every every once in a while you know we 'll get a puzzle out as a family and it 's something to do for a little while but but this has made me angry and this puzzle made our family angry, and again, it only lasted about three hours uh, before we finally put it away but uh, if if putting a puzzle like this is or like this together is difficult, um, can you imagine trying to put together this puzzle or any puzzle for that matter together without the picture? I mean, just think about that. I mean, maybe you've know, maybe you got a, a bag, a Ziploc bag full of puzzle pieces. You lose the box top, and so you don't have a picture to work from. But just the task of putting all those pieces out on the table and trying to configure them and put them all together to form the picture. I mean, if it's challenging enough to try and put a puzzle like this together, a 1,000-piece puzzle, you can imagine how difficult it would be trying to put together a puzzle uh, without the picture. I mean, you know, unless you have the picture, the the, the individual pieces don't make a lot of sense I mean you really need the picture in order to kind of get a, a better idea of what you're working towards or, or what it is that you're you're, you're working with and, and honestly that, that's kind of like what we're kind of what we're doing with the story uh, you know we, we've put out the challenge to read through the Bible in two thousand and thirteen and so we're in the story together and and we're using the story we're using the the book and maybe you 've seen it the story here uh, for this year to, to read through the Bible and, and the story is not meant to be a replacement for your Bible. Uh, it's just a resource. It's a resource that we're using to, to get a, a better picture, a greater picture of the story that God is telling uh, uh, through his word. And, and so we're challenging you to read it on your own. We're challenging uh, you to follow along with us on Sunday mornings to maybe get in a group so that you can engage the story uh, at every level. But, but the story gives us a greater picture. It helps us understand more and more what God is up to and what the author is like and what part or role you and I play in this particular story and so again, every week we 're asking you to read along with us, and so for today, you should have read up to chapter two let 's be honest here you 're in church so don 't lie, but how many of you have read through chapter two already let 's get some hands up all right good we're, we're keep going all right and jump in if you missed a week or you 're like, man, you know I did chapter one, but just like me, you know i didn 't get through chapter two. You can do it. You can catch up or just jump in with us and read chapter 3 in preparation for next Sunday. Last week, as we looked at creation, we discovered that Adam and Eve, that after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, that what God did was that He put together this plan. He put into motion a plan to save the world from sin. Well, this week with chapter 2, we're going to see how God is going to build a new nation. And through this nation, eventually one day would come, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and he would be the one that would free uh, the people from their sin. And as you read this past week, if, if you got through chapter two this week, you know it was a little more challenging. You get a little deeper into the Genesis narrative here and you find that it's packed full of a whole bunch of names and a whole bunch of places and people. And and so you read about it. And we saw from the video just a moment ago uh, about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Rachel and Rebecca and others. Well, today uh, we're going to spend a majority of our time talking about Abraham Um, Abraham is the main character for this particular chapter, and his story takes up about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis, and it's not contained simply to Genesis either. I mean, we read about Abraham throughout the Old Testament and something like 75 times even in the New Testament, and so he's an important person in the Bible. In fact, he's often referred to as the father of our faith. And before he was known as Sarah, or Abraham, and maybe you picked up on this uh, this past week, before he was known as Abraham, he was Abram, that was his given name. And, and he was married to Sarah, who was also known as Sarai. And you could say that the two of them uh, kind of came from well-to-do families, all right? Well-to-do families, maybe lived in the Burbs, you know, something like that. I mean, they've got the club membership, they've got two European cars, they've got this unique breed of dog that somebody like me could never afford. You know, I mean, that, that, that's the kind of people that we're talking about talking about here. And, and for some reason, we will never know this side of heaven. God wanted to start a new nation. And, and he chose this couple. He, he chose this particular group of people uh, through whom he would have this special relationship. And again, to start that nation, he's going to pick Abraham and Sarah. And they're a strange choice for a couple of reasons. First of all, they come from a family of idol worshipers. I mean, they do. That's their history. I mean, Joshua 24 tells us that Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol maker. And so we can assume that Abraham was very familiar with many gods, small g sort of gods, and that he wasn't really all that familiar with the big God, you know, Jehovah God that we're talking about, the God of the story. And last week you read about this guy by the name of Noah, and we know that God chose Noah because he was a good guy and he was a righteous guy, but we don't get that kind of evidence with Abraham. I mean, we don't know anything about Abraham except for the fact that God chose him. And we know that God made a good choice in Abraham because Abraham was a man with faith. He had faith. He he demonstrated faith in his life. But again, this is all we know. And I just think if you just stop there for a moment, I mean, what a great example and a great reminder for us that even if you come from a messed up, jacked up, ungodly, sort of dysfunctional kind of a family, that God can still use you. He can still use you. I mean, this is what he does over and over again. And he uses the least likely people to accomplish his purpose and to tell his story. And you're going to see this for yourself all the way throughout the Bible, all the way through the story. I mean, you'll see that Abraham was old. I mean, you'll see that Isaac was insecure. Uh, Leah was unattractive. God used her. Uh, Joseph was a slave. We'll read about him next week. Moses stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Samson was proud. Rahab immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal and and Jeremiah was, was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Mary was a poor teenage girl. John the Baptist ate bugs. All right, you know, that's that's what we know about this guy. God used him. Peter was impulsive. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Thomas had his doubts. Paul was in poor health. And Timothy was known as a guy who was timid. I mean, the list goes on and on, person after person, story after story. God has always been willing to use people that the world would never choose. That's just the way he works. That's who he is. And no matter what you've done or where you've been in your life, I just want to remind you that you don't give up on a God who can do something incredible. He can do something tremendous with your life because you've got a purpose and he wants to do great things through you too. So we pick it up in Genesis chapter 12. If you've got your own Bibles and uh, we'll have the words up on the screen too. Genesis chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now just stop there for a second because think about it. I mean, if you're Abraham, you've probably got everything you could ever need. And this isn't 2013 where you move from one home to another, one subdivision to another, one town to another town for a new job or something like that. You just didn't do it. I mean, why move? I mean, life's good for this couple. I mean, they're they're comfortable. They're close to family. But I think Abraham's intrigued. And he's intrigued by these words in verse 2 when God says to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing." Verse three. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you." And so God basically says, "Abraham, here's what I want to do. I want to take you and Sarah, and I want to make your family into this great nation, meaning I'm going to give you a bunch of kids, and I'm going to give you a bunch of grandkids, which leads to another strange reason for choosing Abraham and Sarah, because not only do they come from a family of idol worshippers, they don't have any children. And not only do they not have any children, but they're old, all right? I mean, they're, they're, they're an old couple, and so you think about it, all right? I mean, let's let, let just be logical here. I mean, God's got this plan to build this great new nation. He's going to do it through a couple. I mean, which sort of couple are you going to pick? I'm going to show you two pictures, all right, two options, and, and let's choose together. Let's take a vote on who you're going to choose to build this great nation. Here's the first picture. It's the Duggars, if you can't see it. I mean, we all know and love the Duggars. I mean, if you're going to build a great new nation, I mean, you're going to choose somebody like the Duggars. You're going to choose Jim Bob, you know? And, and not only have they had a bunch of kids, but now they have kids that are old enough and married, and they're having kids. And so if you're going to build this great new nation, you're going to choose somebody like the Duggars, right? Well, here's option number two. Frank and Lois, you know? I don't know. Their names, I don't think I made that up. They're, they're not Frank and Lois, but... I'm God's going to build a nation. You know, I, I'm sorry. I, I take one look at this couple. I'm going to guess that their nation building days are behind them. You know, I mean, you know that if they haven't had any children at this point, you know, it, it's probably not a part of their future. You know, I, you know, who, who, who knows, but who are you going to choose? Right. Couple number one or couple number two. But the real question is what's most important is who's God going to choose. And remember, God often chooses the least likely people to carry out his plan and his purposes. And in Genesis 15, uh, over in verse 5, we read that God took Abram outside. And here's what he said to him. He says, look up at the sky, Abraham, and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. It's almost like he's playing with them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, this must have been a pretty crazy experience for an idol-worshiping old man with no kids. And just imagine what it was like for Abraham with awe to look up into the sky. And remember, this was the day before telescopes. And some scientists estimate that without a telescope with the naked eye, you could see, if you were patient enough, you could count about 10,000 stars in the sky. And, and while I'm sure that Abraham was excited about the possibility of 10,000 descendants, because keep in mind, he's got zero. And that's a big deal when all of this is happening. The truth is that God was smiling along the way. Because while Abraham was thinking about the promises of thousands, he couldn't see what God could see. I mean, only God had the knowledge of the fact that there were billions of stars in the sky. I mean, only God knew that this promised nation to Abraham would be made up of billions of people, both natural born and adopted ones like me. And this is just how God works. I mean, this is what our God is like. I mean, you and I might see one thing, but God always sees so much more. I mean, you and I must, might see only so much potential, and God just sees greater potential. He's got this great vision. And even when life doesn't make sense, I mean, you can trust that he can see so much more than you could ever see on your own. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, this is the 10-year anniversary of Genesis Church. Uh, Genesis Church was planted 10 years ago. Uh, by a small group of people, and they started out meeting in an apartment clubhouse for a while, and then they met uh, at Grace Community Church for a season. Uh, they met over at Bridgeway Church for a season. They ended up in Noblesville and met at a banquet hall for a while, and eventually moved out to an elementary school closer to Westfield, and then ended up here at this facility in 2008, and, and it's an incredible story. And I know that some of you, you've been around a lot longer than I have here uh, with John Genesis, but you know that there are great stories and hundreds of lives that have been changed along the way. And there's been some real highs and there's been some lows, and there's been some great seasons and some difficult seasons. But I, I just wonder if ten years ago, you know, if this group of people could could have been so honest with their self to say, you know, that they could see something like this today, one church now in two locations. I don't know if you know this or not, but last weekend we, we had over nine hundred people attend services between the Noblesville campus and the Carmel campus. Only God could see something like that. Only God could do that sort of work and see so much potential, and we're going to we're going to celebrate that this year. We're going to celebrate our 10 year anniversary as a church in June, Sunday, June 23rd. In fact, and more details to come in the coming weeks. But so we're going to be one church in one location for one Sunday for one service, and it's going to be a lot of fun to bring everybody back together. And again, we'll do that at another location, and we'll have some more details of that as we get closer. But but only God. Could see something like that. Only God could do that work through a church like Genesis. And that's what God's doing with Abraham here. I mean, God was promising tons of kids and grandkids and great grandkids who carry on what God was beginning with Abraham. And that's a pretty good deal for Abraham, right? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, God says, Abraham, I'm picking you and I'm gonna build a great nation through you and I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna curse those who curse you. And that's a key promise that'll be repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. That was the promise of God. But let's be honest, the hard part's still to come because in order for this nation to form Abraham and his family, they've got to leave their home. They've got to leave the place that they know and they've got to go somewhere that they've never been to before. And God doesn't tell them where. He doesn't say where the moving van's going. He just say, hey, get in the vehicle. We're leaving and, and I'll just kind of reveal a little bit more to you as we go. And I think that's just a great reminder for you and me today as we live our lives every single day of the week that it's important that you see for yourself that whether you understand what God is up to in your life or even if you would say, I don't understand what God's up to in my life, following God is usually characterized by stepping out of your comfort zone. He does that over and over again. In my life, he'll do that in your life too. He's going to call you out of your comfort zone and what you can see so that you might be able to see only what he can see. And that's how God's challenging Abraham. God said, leave your country and go and look at Genesis 12, verse four. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from, from, from Haran. Now, try and imagine how difficult it was for an elderly couple like this to leave. And it wasn't as if God was saying, hey, why don't you go spend the winter in southern Florida, all right? I mean, that's not what he's doing with them here. You know, they don't, they don't have any idea where they're going, but they set out anyways. And, and they could have come up with any number of reasons and excuses for not going and not listening. But God says, go. And what do we read? What did Abraham do? We saw it a second ago. It just says, so Abram went, just as the Lord had told him. No questions, no objections, just faith. And they were still talking about the faith of this man, even 2,000 years later, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, when it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I just want you to notice here, by faith Abraham did what? He obeyed. He obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. And as you think about faith and as you think about what faith means in your life and in your circumstances and at your school and at your job right now or with your finances, I mean, here's one example of what it means to have faith. Faith is obeying. If you're taking notes, faith is obeying. Faith is obeying even though you may not know where you're going. Faith is obeying when you're not sure, even when you're not sure where God is leading, and that's never easy. I mean, that's never easy, but Abraham obeys. I mean, he just packs up his home. He packs up all he has. You know, his neighbors are asking questions and he's got no answers. I mean, he doesn't know where God is leading or how they're going to get there, but he knows what God asked, and so he obeys. How, how many of you are rule followers And my guess is you're a firstborn, if you raise your hand to to that question. I'm a firstborn, and and so I'm sort of a rule follower. But I'll tell you that I do have, even as a firstborn, um, I do have difficulty following directions. And maybe that's just kind of a guy thing. But, But I have difficulty following directions, especially when it comes to opening cereal boxes, and, and things like uh, plastic packages of cheese, you know, shredded cheese or something, you know, the kind where like they've manufactured the zipper in the bag for you. Like you, if you just follow the directions, I mean, it really works out well. And and it's not like I'm starved, you know, I just can't wait to rip into a box of Rice Krispies or something like that. But just sort of kind of unconsciously, I'll I'll open a box, and so it's not uncommon to walk down at breakfast time and see a box of cereal sitting on the table and it's upside down because Dad opened you know the box the wrong. Way, or I opened the package uh, the wrong way. I mean, the directions are right there. I mean, they're in bold print, but I just didn't read them. You know, you don't take the time to read them. Hey, here's what could easily happen as you read your Bible, as you read through the story with us together. I mean, you're going to learn and you're going to discover for yourself all of these details and maybe even new details, and that's great. But if all we do is learn about God's story and at the same time, nothing changes in our story, nothing changes in your life or in my life, then we're just really wasting our time and we're missing the point. Because in James chapter 1, verse 22, James says it like this. He says, hey, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Do what it says. Think about that. I mean, notice how Abraham hears from God and responds, he obeys As you're reading through the Bible, as you're reading through the story, whether it be here on Sundays or in your connection group or as you're reading alone, it's going to be about a a lot of learning. But but if you're learning and not living and not obeying, and if you're just soaking up information, I mean, what's the point? And, And be reminded that as you read, it's not just for someone else, but it's for you. And it's what God wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you and how he wants to transform you in your life. I mean, the point is application. And so for Abraham, God says, get up and move. And I'm not going to tell you where we're going. And, and then as you keep reading, you discover that God has this plan to make Abraham into a great nation. And again, Abraham has every reason to doubt God in this. All right. Because again, he, he's old Alright. And, and that gives every reason to question. I mean, he's been married to his wife for decades now. They're probably around a hundred and they still have no children. I mean, and when you think about it, I mean, I mean, do one hundred year olds still like, I mean, like, I mean, if, like, when I, if I'm alive when I'm a hundred and my wife, I mean, I hope so, you know. I mean, I, you know, I hope that's the case. But anyways, I mean, when you just think about it again, they're old, but again, God promised. And again, just one verse. Abraham, or Genesis fifteen six, it says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. I mean, Abraham had no reason to believe God. He had nothing from his past with God to draw from, but in spite of this, Abraham believed God and he believed that God would do what he promised he would do. And that's faith. I mean, faith is obeying, but there's another thing too, and that is that faith is believing. Faith is believing. And here's how Romans 4 describes that. Verse 18 It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Hear those words again. That's faith. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Faith is believing. It's believing God against all hope. And when you think about it, I mean, so much of life, especially as a follower of Jesus, comes down to the question, do I believe God? And do I believe that God will do what he says that he will do? I mean, how you answer that question is going to determine a lot about how you live and about your faith and about your trust in God because it's one thing to believe in God when life is going right. But to ask yourself, do I really believe in God when I lose my job? Or do I really still have faith and trust in God when I don't get that job that I applied for, I hope for? Or do I really believe in God when I, I don't get into the school that I want? Do I really believe in God when I see and discover that I'm still living life alone? Do I really believe, do I, do I have faith in God that he is good even when we can't get pregnant? Or do I really believe and trust in God when it just seems like we can never seem to get ahead financially? We're always behind. You know, many of you know Josh and Heidi Tandy. They served on the staff for the last few years. Josh serving as our student pastor and, and groups pastor and uh, well, a little over a year ago, they just really sensed this call in their life that God was getting them ready to go and plant a church uh, on the south side of Indianapolis. And so they started making those plans, and we've been working with them in that. And so a couple of weeks ago, they, you know, they they, they finally left our team. They aren't here as much because they're getting ready uh, to plant this church. But if you know them, if you know their story, you know that it's had a lot of highs and lows. It's had a lot of ups and downs because and all of this work and getting ready to plant a brand new church on the south side, they've faced a lot of closed doors. There have been some doors that have opened, but there have been a lot of closed doors, and especially recently, you know, doors closing. And because of that, they, they feel like God might be stretching them a bit. You know, and when I think about it, I look at their lives and I think, well, they have already taken a great leap of faith because they loved it here and they love serving here, but they've stepped away from that to go and plant a church which isn't easy. But now they believe that in these closed doors, God might be sort of just kind of expanding their vision. And maybe it's not going to be about the south side of Indianapolis, but maybe he's going to take them someplace else. And maybe even the possibilities that they would plant in another state and another place that desperately needs a church, a church that's helping people find their way back to God. And I, I just love the two of them, and I love their faith in this because even though things might be changing for them, there are two things that won't change. Number one, they believe they are called to plant a church. And number two, they're obeying and believing that God has a plan. And they're trusting him in it. And it's just kind of sort of like with Abraham and Sarah. God says, go, and I'm not telling you yet where we're going, but I just need to see your faithfulness. I need to see your obedience. I need to see you believing. Faith isn't believing that God will do what you or I think he should do. That's not faith. You know, and sometimes we get a little upside down in this. I mean, we think faith is believing that God will do what I want, and if I pray hard enough, or if I wish for it, that it'll work out exactly the way that I think it should. That's not biblical faith. But biblical faith is believing that God will do what He said He will do, and that God can do whatever He chooses to do. And that's faith. And Abraham models that for us. I mean, he demonstrates faith in God against all hope, against any circumstance whatsoever. But before we label Abraham and Sarah as these great models and great champions for our faith, these perfect models, let's look at what happens next in their story. Skip over to chapter 16. You know, Let's just say that Abraham and Sarah are getting a little impatient with God because they're tired of waiting on him. God promised a son, and they desperately want a son, and that's very important at these historical times but they're not getting any younger. And so I'm going to tell you right up front that what we're getting ready to read is a little strange. And just because it happened, it doesn't mean that it was right, but these sort of things happened in ancient times. Look at Genesis 16, beginning in verse 3. It says, So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began, this is Sarah, to despise her mistress. And so Hagar and Abraham get together, maybe for an evening or something. She conceives and chaos immediately sets in with this family. And why? This isn't God's plan. They're getting out of bounds for God's plan for their lives, for their family, and for this situation I mean, God's plan for Abraham and Sarah was that he would give them a child, not through Abraham and Hagar. And so what results is a child is born to Abraham and uh, this slave girl, Hagar, and he's given the name Ishmael, And eventually, as you read for yourself, God's going to give a child to Abraham and Sarah, just as he promised, and they'll name him Isaac. And so on the one hand, you have Abraham through Hagar with this son in Ishmael. And here's what God says of Ishmael in verse 12. He says, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Chaos here 's what god's saying god 's basically saying, "Hey, chaos and hostility will follow around Ishmael and all of his descendants forever and so you 've got Ishmael and he 's got a brother with a different mother right and and Isaac, and so you have these these two boys here and and so Ishmael, again, belongs to Abraham and Hagar. Isaac belongs to Abraham and Sarah, and here's where this gets really fascinating. Ishmael today is known as the father of the Arab nations. Isaac is known as the father of the Jewish and Christian nations. And what I want you to see is this that 4,000 years later, now, when you turn on the news today or tomorrow, and you read about the escalating, the ongoing conflict between places like Iran and, and, and Israel, I mean, what you're really seeing is exactly what God said, maybe 4,000. Years ago that hostility will follow this family, there, there will be hostility between them forever. The, the Muslim people today trace their lineage back through this man named Ishmael. The Jewish people trace their lineage back through Isaac. Chaos and hostility. God's prediction, you know, in this. Here's what it comes down to. People in the Bible people like Abraham and Sarah, I mean, you can see it for yourself. They make huge mistakes and do horrible things. And there are consequences for those choices. But what I want you to notice is that God still uses them. He's still good. He's still sitting on his throne at this moment, just as he's sitting on his throne even today. And for Abraham and Sarah, they're still part of God's story. God's willing to use mess ups. He's willing to use mistakes and redeem them. I mean, and maybe for you, whether you feel like you disqualified yourself for God and for his love uh, at some point in your life, or you're not qualified to be a part of his story. I mean, maybe you've thought to yourself, it's too late for me, or I'm too old, or I've made too many mistakes, or I don't make enough money. I mean, just look at Abraham and Sarah and know that God uses people like you and me all the time he uses people that the world would be less likely to choose and it may or may not make sense on paper but god give but but even opportunities like this give god opportunity it gives god opportunities to be glorified and that's what he's up to over and over again he he's bringing glory to himself and that's important to keep in mind because when god chooses an infertile elderly couple to build this great nation it's for the glory of god you know when god does something like you know, put together a community of high school students who together make a commitment to live in the world but not of the world. It's for the glory of God. Uh, when 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 God uses a a woman, maybe a, a stay at home mom who you know is making a difference on her street for others and for her neighbors, it's it's for the glory of God. I mean, when a dad who grew up without a dad, or maybe without a a, a an example of a God loving sort of a dad, and, and this. You know, young man leads his home faithfully and is constantly pointing his wife and his children towards Jesus. It's for the glory of God. And that's what God's story is all about. It's about God bringing glory to himself through messed up people like Abraham and Sarah and messed up people like you and me. Now, before we end this, flip over a few more chapters, Genesis 22. And I think what Abraham is most known for comes right out of this chapter. You know, it's in in Genesis 22 that we read about God calling Abraham to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. Now, remember, this is the same God that promised to Abraham, I'm going to make your family into this great nation. And that nation is going to come through Isaac, or at least Abraham was led to believe. And so this command, even as we read it here, you're going to find that it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to Abraham, but look at Genesis 22 verse one. It says sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now stop there for just a second. We have the privilege of knowing that it's a test. It says that, but Abraham doesn't realize this. And so God said to Abraham, he said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love Isaac and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you now. If you read this for the first time, you can't help but ask why. I mean, why would God ask Abraham to do something like this? Well, for your information, there, there is no instance in all of Scripture where God requires a human sacrifice. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, he forbids it. But look at verse 3. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. I just want you to see the faith. All right, this is a three-day journey to the top of the mountain. There's plenty of time for questions and concerns and for turning around. But Abraham had to be thinking, why, God? Like, you promised me a son. It took this long. Now we have one. But now you're asking me to sacrifice him to you? Verse four, it says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, just notice the pronoun usage there, if you would, at the very end of the verse, when Abraham says, we will go. And then he says, we will return. Again, that's faith. I mean, Abraham's not 100% sure of what God's up to. the The book of Hebrews tells us later that Abraham reasoned to himself that if he were to sacrifice his son Isaac, that even God could raise him from the dead. I mean, after all, if God could give Abraham a boy at 100, God could surely raise, uh, raise this boy from the dead. But whatever the case, Abraham says, "We will come back to you." I mean, he knew that no matter what happened, God would be good at His word; that God would be faithful. And as we discover that faith is obeying and believing, I just want you to see here, too, that faith is trusting. I mean, it's trusting. It's trusting in a God, you know, here and in your life, even when life doesn't make sense, even when the circumstances don't add up, even when the medical report is frightening, whatever it may be. I mean, as a follower of Jesus, you know, this this aspect of faith and trusting God is something that you and I that will be called to over and over again. I've seen this demonstrated here at Genesis and in so many different people right now. As you remember, if you've been around for at least a little while, back in January, we did a series here called The Ladder, where we talked about giving and we talked about generosity. And the challenge is just real specific. It's just a, hey, get in the game. If you're not giving somewhere, start giving. You know and that might mean for you if you 've never given before, just just become an initial giver, just set an amount and start giving regularly and trusting God in that process. I mean, you know that to give your money to give financially to a church to anything i mean it 's some trusting right i mean it 's trusting that that God's going to provide in that. And, and for many of you as well, and it was just a little overwhelming to see how many people responded and said, you know what, we're going to take you up on the 10-week tithe challenge, and we're going to do this. And, and so I, I've had the privilege of hearing many stories and reading many emails and many different letters of people who said, hey, we're, we're stepping out in faith. I mean, we're trusting. We're not sure what the month is going to end up like, but we're trusting and believing that God is good at His Word, and, and we're giving. And I well, we got a letter in the office this past week and I just think it's a great example of faith and, and trusting God. And, and it's from a high school student. i um, a high school girl who wrote this letter and in the letter was a $10 bill. And, and let me just read this for you real quick. It says, hello, Genesis. Uh, in response to the ladder series, this $10 is my tithe. It's 10% of what I earned this week. I got $50 for my 4.7 GPA. Did any of you get money for your GPA? You know, I never did. I mean, maybe I never got a 4.7 either. So maybe that's part of the problem. But but she says this, and then the rest from two nights in a row of babysitting. She says, I was all ready to deposit everything into my account and spend it eventually. But I remember today in service when the offering bag went around having that voice, God's voice in the back of my head telling me that I needed to give. I shoved the voice away and distracted myself by doodling on the program. But when I was getting my backpack ready for school this evening, I realized that God is the one who has blessed me. He's given me an amazing family, a great school, the best friends, and amazing kids to babysit for. I could be broke with no money and in that situation and still be happy. So really, what's $10? She then says, I'm mailing this instead of waiting for Sunday to roll around because I know that if I hold it or well, try to hold on to it, until then I'll be too tempted and we'll end up spending it or something. But maybe withstanding that would be a good thing. But And then she says, baby steps. So for now, I'll be mailing it. I look forward to next week's sermon. And she says, and I'm loving the story. A high school student, faith. Faith is trusting, even in finances. Look at the rest of the story, Genesis 22, verse 6. It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. And we can guess that he replied quickly. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And it says, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Faith is trusting. God provided. This man Isaac grew up. He married a woman by the name of Rebecca. They were married for 20 years before their first child. They had twins, Jacob and Esau. And after these two, God starts to work a little more quickly uh, in building this great nation. Jacob had 12 sons and that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, we'll see a little bit more of that uh, in our reading this week and in next week. Here's what I want you to understand. This story, I mean, especially this particular chapter in the storybook that you're reading, is one piece in the really big picture. And it's full of all sorts of lower story kind of implications. But if you read portions of the Bible, if you read accounts of the Bible and of the story, and especially of this one here, on its own, you can see how it doesn't make a lot of sense. But when you see it arranged as a part of the bigger story, the grander story, well, again, you can see how it all sorts of kind of comes together. You know, there's a literary term that you might have learned in literature class. I remember learning it in Mrs. Theobald's class in high school uh, where she taught us about foreshadowing. There's some foreshadowing going on here as the author gives us a hint about what's to come. I mean, this event here on Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac is foreshadowing because it's the same region. And some people believe even the very same mountain that God would one day sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ on. And so on the one hand, you've got a father in Abraham who's been asked to sacrifice his son and it's a test, but the day would come We're in the very same area, the very same region. God would sacrifice his own son, Jesus, but not as a test. It was a sacrifice, a gift, once and for all, for you and me. And a couple of thousand years later now, here we are. And we're still waiting, but God is still writing a story. And it's good, and it's perfect. If you ask me, It's frustrating trying to put a puzzle like this together. And what's even more frustrating is trying to put a puzzle like this together without a picture. But maybe you've been in a situation like this one before where you get to the end of the puzzle, you've arranged every piece, all 999 of them, and you've discovered there's one missing. It would be a tragedy for you in your life to get to the very end and discover Once and for all, that there's one missing piece, and I get the opportunity. We get the opportunity to share that with you today. That that one missing piece might be is the most important piece, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today thinking my life isn't making sense. None of this is adding up. It could be that there's one piece missing, and it's for you to surrender your life to Jesus. To invite him in to begin that relationship with God and to see for yourself once and for all how that changes everything. Let's pray, God. As we think about faith today, um, I know we could all use it. We've all got a need for faith, and and the really great thing about you, God, is you know every story, you know every life, you know all of the details and all of the circumstances. And so you know every heart in this room right now and you know what's coming up today and this week and what the last week held. And you're a God that can give us faith. And so we pray for faith today. And maybe even you right now, wherever you're seated, maybe you just need to pray that prayer right now. Just ask God, God, would you give me faith? Would you give me faith to obey? Give me faith to believe and faith to trust. And God, I want to pray for those here today that maybe would recognize that they don't have a relationship with you, that they've never never invited you into their life to be Lord and Savior. And as we pray, let me just ask you that. Do Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? And I just want to challenge you in that because if you don't, would you pray, would you ask God to give you enough faith to believe that that might just be the missing piece right now in your life and what clarity and hope He could give you today as you surrender your life to Him what what difference it could make in your life to walk out of this room in just a moment and know that maybe once and for all finally you've got a picture of life and hope and forgiveness and love and grace and new beginnings forgiveness eternity if that's you today and you don't know jesus christ as your lord and savior i want to invite you if you if you feel god kind of pulling you to himself today and you want to respond to that and surrender your life to jesus christ today i want to give you an opportunity to pray with me right now to begin that relationship with jesus christ today because the bible says for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't die but have eternal life forever and can experience forgiveness and you can have that today. So if that's you, just pray this prayer with me. God, I need Jesus. I'm inviting him into my life today. I want to begin that relationship with him on this day. Forgive me of my sins. Wash it all away. Call me your child and change my life forever. God, I thank you for those here today that have prayed that prayer and invited you in, that they will experience the the great wonder of a new life in Christ and will take steps from here to grow in that faith and in that life with you. God, thank you for faith. Thank you for showing us the way. Give us strength in the days to come. We pray this in Jesus' name.